Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be joined by the wonderful Ruth Wilson to talk all about her movie, True Things, for which she is the lead actor and also producer on the film. And I wanted to start by talking about the way in which this story has been told, because there's such a, a delicate nuance and subtlety to the way that the story has been told. And, and that comes through in your performance in a lot of ways, but also the writing and directing, um, you know, and since you optioned the book when you first read it, um, you know, and had such a close collaboration with Harry Whitliffe, who's the, the writer and director on the film, I was interested in the aspects of, of that real nuance and intimacy in the story that were always important to you as you went through the development stages and as you started to develop this character in terms of your performance as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, so I found this book like 10 years ago, actually, a long time ago, and there was something about the content of it, about these, it felt really quite um universal to me but also really nuanced like you say it was a very kind of deep dive into the female perspective on these relationships they're kind of rite of passage relationships women that have oh not just women actually everyone has these relationships when you look back on them five years later and you're like why on earth did I do that why was I so obsessed with that person or what was that about and I was really interested in that I thought that that is universal actually and um so I was, that was kind of first out of the process of why I was drawn to the book and then bringing Harry on. Harry, I mean, her previous work, she'd just done Only You, which was her debut, not a film. And again, it's the way she uses the camera, the way she wants to interrogate the psychology of those individuals at the heart of her films. Um, the camera's always quite fluid, and but incredibly intense in a way, or close up. So she's really getting cl close to the object of the, of interest, you know, which is the, that individual. Um, and because she was writing this as well, it was about really through, through, seeing through the lens of this woman and being very um, specific and subjective about that. Um, so it's, she's slightly uh, unreliable as a narrator because it's what she sees and what she's experiencing, um, which is that obsessive quality of those of infatuation and those early stages of infatuation and how it can feel like a waking dream, but also a waking nightmare. You know, those two things that are at odds with each other. And part of the drama of that is what makes it enticing too. So I think it was through the style of the film, like of the filmmaking, it definitely lends itself to that, of the being in that kind of odd uh, headspace when it's taken over your whole body, that feeling of obsession and obsessional love. Absolutely. And, and I've also heard you mention there that one of the things that really struck you when you first read the book as well was, was kind of the humor in it. And, you know, there's kind of this delightful quirkiness to the humor in the character where, you know, she calls her friend and she's trying to joke around after bailing on drinks and her friend's just completely completely non-responsive to it or she's talking to her parents about this relationship and saying oh you know he's trying to get himself back on his feet but he's having difficulty because he's got no legs and it just never quite lands with people around her um, and so I was interested in how you saw the the comedic sensibility from the book and wanting to make sure that that was a part of the character both in the telling of the story but again you know also in your performance how you wanted that to land with the other characters. Yeah, I mean, in the book, there was something that really, I was really moved by the book. I was kind of shocked, muse, uh, uh, shocked, moved, and really made to laugh out loud when I was reading it. So I wanted to kind of, and the reason I laughed out loud was because it was really honest. It was how she, I always thought that Kate, even though she was quite um, overwhelmed by this experience, she could see the world, she had a clarity about the world, and she saw things quite clearly, actually. Um, 
with a keen observational eye. And I, I wanted that to remain in the script. I wanted this Kate not to be, she, yes, she's vulnerable and she has flaws, but she's not a hapless victim as well. She's sort of, she has a quirk and a personality that perhaps is slightly hiding under a bushel, you know, hasn't been identified yet, or she is not confident enough yet to accept and love herself for that person. And actually, weirdly blonde, this man that she meets does recognise that in her. And so it's not he's not all bad. He kind of recognises her humour and her lightness of touch. And that's why they connect. So that's the complexity in it is that she is funny. She is quirky. She does see the world slightly differently. She is kind of chaos. Um, but I, I really wanted to maintain that. So it wasn't just this person did feel three dimensional. She wasn't just a victim. She wasn't just a sort of sad sack. Um, she had something that she hadn't quite allowed herself to be yet. So she's still finding herself. And I think that was kind of vital to have uh, the heart of this, of that character. Um, and so I was always looking for humor in it. And even if it's slight, it's kind of the way the camera works or the way she responds to things, or yes, her humor in like rubbish jokes, or, you know, it's, um, I think that she's awkward in her humor. She doesn't, no one quite gets her. And that was really important about who this person was too, is that she doesn't really fit in. Um, so yeah, I, I loved finding that. And Harry herself is quite quirky in a way. So she knew exactly what this character was about. Um, but that I always thought there was something interesting in not just her humor, but her drive. Like for me, a lot sometimes stories of, uh, sort of toxic relationships, often women are sort of portrayed as victims of, his kind of circumstance, but I actually felt there's something about Kate that has ultimate power in this relationship. She is the one that pursues him. She gets his number. She pursues him. She calls him. Uh, she continues to pursue him until she has him. And then ultimately you see that she, when she doesn't need him anymore, when the, the veil is lifted and she realizes what he, what he is really, she leaves. So in a way I wanted to kind of, question that that she is a victim of this well she does feel that she's in the thrall of this man but really she's also engaging in that drama and that dynamic and with what you were saying there about she is a character who's still going on this journey of finding herself and, and talking about just earlier that level of infatuation um I wanted to ask about some of the challenging aspects in terms of of, of your performance and, and finding a lot of the nuance in the internalized space of we're watching this woman create this idea in her head and this roadmap of what she thinks this relationship already is when it hasn't become that yet. You know, she barely has had a real conversation with him and she's already conceptualized this idea of it being a relationship. She's telling her parents that she's seeing someone, you know, and he obviously is having a very different experience to her in that. Um, and I was interested in, in how you approach that side of things, because it's not, it's not things that are being spoken out loud. She's not kind of explicitly saying this. And yet we get such a sense of the imagination and where everything's going in her head. Yeah. And I think that's what one of the keys of it is in a way is like, why do we, why are we blind to what's real? You know, what, what is it that happens and why are we refusing to kind of accept what the reality is? And there's something about the extraordinary act of imagination of hope. And you hope that this is what you want. It's going to end up being what you want it to be. It's, and I think 
that is what it is. It's the human's capability of imagination to create something that's not actually in front of them. And we wanted to get inside Kate's head in that way. I always thought that she was a bit of an artist and a bit of, um, you know, lost in her imagination quite a lot, actually, as a character, as a person. And yes, yeah, so we have these, the dream sequence always really important for that. And this the real pure subjectivity of the lens that, you know, you are watching. I wanted the audience to feel uh, what she's feeling, like the, the touch of a hand or the, the way the beads of sweat are on his neck or uh, the way so the camera captures all of that stuff. So it's really being her eyes on this scenario. So you are feeling as intoxicated by this man as an audience as she is. And that's important to sort of get inside. You are being inside her imagination of what she's feeling and seeing. And it's only when she gets to Spain that we see Blonde slightly differently. We're suddenly slightly at arm's length from him and his clothes are different and the way his manner is different. That was all very, um, that was kind of decisions made by us in the writing and in the performance of, of um, Tom playing Blonde. Uh, but also in the way he's dressed and everything else is that actually suddenly the veil is lifted and he seems like someone else. And that's, so it was all very specific about seeing it through Kate's imaginative eyes. And and with that point as well, I wanted to also ask about the relationship with Ashley Connor, who's the, the cinematographer and, and just kind of the, the dance that you wanted to have with the camera. You know, you were talking earlier about Harry having a very kind of fluid motion with the camera and it really sits so close on your performance where you know, you kind of almost don't have to do much to say so much when the camera's right there and there's also nowhere to hide with your performance. Um, and so what's the difference for you in, in filming so many scenes like that? Because it's not even just one moment. A lot of the film is really, you know, we're almost not even seeing him in the frame half the time when you're together. Yeah, so it's it was really interesting film filming something like this because it felt like I was being observed rather than telling a story. So, you know, often when I'm, detailing a character I will go through this, this sort of journey of what a character does and I'll try and pitch that and tell that to the audience in a way with this it was like I'm just being watched every moment is being watched so I don't have to tell I don't have to take on the responsibility of telling a story it's just going to observe me in those moments and it almost is sort of moment to moment uh, and I don't think she's quite aware of anything changing or anything happening so it felt quite a raw exposing process actually in the first week I felt quite difficult filming it because it felt the closest to me that I've ever performed and it felt like uh really vulnerable naked because <laughs> the camera is here watching everything you do in such close proximity that it felt uh really quite exposing but as as it went on it proved to be really liberating because I was I had a connection with Ashley Ashley was amazing she moved to what the scene was doing and providing. So she would find things that I was doing with Tom or on my own. Like if I was doing something with my fingers or I was fiddling with something, she would find it with a camera and she'd move to see those things. So she was, and um, became symbiotic, you know, came really worked really well together um, because she would be following and tracing my movements and my thoughts. Um, so it's really interesting a job like this that if it also often isn't the case that you become that aligned with the cinematographer but on this because she was also camera operating um, we had that dynamic which was really special and and with what you're describing there as well um, you know 
in in terms of building a character arc, you're still carrying you're carrying this character from a place of utter infatuation, building this idea of this relationship and this future, having that shattered in front of her, still kind of going back to it, and then kind of finding a little more of herself at the end. And so there's a lot of delicacy to those different places, and and ultimately, even when things are shattered for her, knowing that she's still going back into the fire one last time, um, you know, kind of needing to leave a little semblance of that there, even through the breakdown. And so how did that change the way that you were arcing out and, and creating a lot of that that kind of gradual journey for your character? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I, I'd worked on it for a long time because I've been working on the writing with Harry on it for years. So we had we'd sort of talked through a lot of this way before I started shooting. So in some ways it was really ingrained in my psyche who this person was and what the journey of her was. But like I said, in a way there wasn't, like you say, she doesn't ever get to flat bottom. She continue, you know, there's always some spark of life in her continuing to go. And she, I didn't feel like I had to necessarily pitch a journey. I just had to be watched in those moments to moments and trust that the way we'd written it and the way that Harry was going to shoot it and edit it was that that would all work together. Um, so I didn't, I didn't feel like I had to get more and more mad or something. It was actually the circumstances were doing that for me. Um, and I think actually it meant that it was much more nuanced and more subtle as a performance than could have been in some ways. And with what you were saying there, that she never fully hits rock bottom, there's still always a little glimmer of hope. How did that influence the the way that you wanted to film the scene where they are sitting in the pub and she's kind of finally saying, I really have these feelings for you. I want to be your girlfriend. I want to, I want to be in this relationship and I want to make this work. And, and that's the moment where the wheels really come off in that instance. And, you know, all of a sudden him dropping these kind of insults that he's been doing the whole way along suddenly resonate in a very different way. And so, um, you know, did you, with what you were saying about being with this character for so long and in, in building that arc for a scene like that, that's so delicate because you still need us to understand afterwards why she's drawn back at, at the same time did you have a sense already of, of where that needed to be in terms of levels for her well it was interesting because Harry always described it a bit as addiction so that the um I don't think the real to me so when she gets clarity is when she gets to Spain and that's when I felt if anything that's when her she starts sort of changes slightly or she becomes more removed from him and in performance wise as well, starts sort of seeing him differently. Before that, she's sort of still obsessed and still hoping that this man is going to be the man that fulfills every one of her expectations and dreams, you know, is, is going to make her fit in with everyone else around her. So I didn't feel necessarily, even though that was a moment where she's upset that he's not, she's standing up for herself for the first time and he's not giving her what she wants. I didn't feel like it was over for her yet. So there's still, and I, I think we had, and we had all those sort of imaginative moments of dreams and like how, like I said earlier, it felt those moments can when you're that obsessed or you're that kind of, it, it overtakes every, it's like chemical, it overtakes your body and your senses that it feels like a waking nightmare. So we have those sequences after that, which almost expresses what is going on for Kate without me having to do a big monologue, you know, about it. It was like, okay, we're going to go into expressive moment where she, you know, jumps off the side of a wall. It's like that feels, she feels at that moment at rock, rock bottom, but I don't have to, I'm kind of expressing that cinematically. Um, 
And that was really fun, actually, uh, in the process of making this film, was finding the way imaginatively and in the psyche that that would play out. What's she imagining? What is she sort of thinking about at that moment, you know, rather than actively doing? And I love that point that you just made about she's not expressing anything through a monologue of emotion. And so I wanted to also ask about how you approach the language of the character and the way that she speaks, because she isn't someone who even talks in very long sentences and the entire dynamic with her and Blonde, it's very kind of short, stagnated, a few words here, a few words there, and a lot of silence between the two of them as well. And so how did you view the the language that she uses and approach a lot of the dialogue and finding her voice in those moments where she does say things out loud as more of an introverted character yeah it's interesting because you know it's hard it's kind of a lot harder in many ways if your characters have limited vocab and don't speak much you have to really find the character in the way they walk or the way they play or the way they inter like interact even with that language they have on the page is it fluid in one sentence or is it really hesitant and awkward and you know most conversations even this one look at me I'm sort of like uh, 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 you know they, they're kind of not as easily written as what's on the page of a script most of the time so it's kind of find the honesty with that and also what I think again it because it's through the lens of her and her subjectivity it's we don't see a great deal of we see intimacy between these characters like I said he offers her something and he provides her something but really it's her active imagination that's creating most of what's in front of her so it's 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 kind of a very internal film and that was a real challenge and it meant that I knew we had to every scene the scene with the parents the scene with her friend the scene at home they all have to really be really specific then uh, you know how she conducts herself in a space on her own means as much as a line on a page so you have to be really specific in the design of the piece and the costuming in everything to kind of give a sense of who this woman is and actually that's a kind of real honest portrait of someone rather than a really well-written um like monologue and dialogue with someone else it's often that's not the case in life it's often a less you know less articulate and did you feel that as the as the story progressed for her that you were drawn much further into that internal space because you were bringing up you know scenes with her friend and scenes with her parents but those relationships get stripped away from everything that happens and then once he leaves it really is just her alone in her flat and there's no one else around it and that's part of what makes the veil come off for her yeah and I think it's also important to get a sense of her loneliness in a way and her isolation from everyone else around her, that she doesn't really connect with people around her and they don't get her. They don't understand her. Her parents don't really understand her. Her friend doesn't understand her. She's trying to fit in in that world, but doesn't. So I think that was really important that we sort of, and we kind of get that dynamic that's on the page. But I did feel that, you know, I've just done a job recently, which again, the language wasn't particularly dense on the page but I wasn't playing the lead. It wasn't through my eyes. So there's a slightly different experience when you're like, wow, you're that distant figure. I was playing the sort of Tom Burke blonde character in this. And it's, that's really hard because you are, you are just creating what that person's version of you is rather than being a fully rounded character that's seen, you're creating sort of their version of you. And that's actually quite, it becomes quite simplistic or it can become quite two-dimensional actually um so that's quite that's more of a challenge I think Tom did find that challenging he did a brilliant job and why 
we wanted to cast him was because he brings so much detail and specificity to a role like that. And it was a really hard challenge that he had to kind of be this imagined figure for Kate. Um, but I loved play I loved working with him. I've, I've known him for years. And it was like the, as soon as I knew he was doing it and as soon as he came on day one of like shooting, I was like, okay, I found my play partner. He's brilliant. And I can really play out a scene with him. Uh, and we can get really nuanced about this. It doesn't just have to be toxic. It can be really complex. You know, it's uh, it's not as easy as that. Yeah, no, that was one of the things I really loved about the dynamic between the two of you. And, and and talking about the end of the film a little bit and and that moment when she goes to Spain and kind of extricates herself from the relationship and, and kind of finally is actually the one to walk away. Um, I, I was curious about how you kind of approached what you wanted that to look like as well, because again, it's it's that buildup of of all these little alarm bells and and things that she's been ignoring, all these red flags along the way, and and so the audience is already in a space of understanding that this is a toxic relationship that she shouldn't be in, but we have to believe that this is a choice that that character would make, having seen her go back into the fold and not even just where she lives, but getting on a plane, and even after the moment where he's not there when she lands to pick him up, um, and so was was there a delicacy in in finding that? you know, even just down to then seeing her on the streets and, and just starting to come into herself a little bit more and, and the foundation of what might be for her future. Yeah, I mean, I always think that, you know, it's not really about Blonde. He's called Blonde for a reason. He's never given a name. You know, he's objectified in the way that women often are. So I always think it's not really about him specifically. It's about her need of someone like him to help her move on to the next stage of her life, whatever that might be. So she almost uses him as a stepping stone to what's what's behind him or what's in front of him or, you know, what's the next thing. And I always felt that it was really the way where we placed it, we placed it at a seaside town in Ramsgate, which is on the east coast of the UK. And I loved the idea. We didn't actually have many shots of the sea when she's at home. Like we, I think a lot of films might have had her out, sort of, you know, reflecting as she looks out across the sea. But I loved the fact that we kept it you know, in a way her escape was so close and yet she couldn't see it, right? She could only see it once he invited her there and she used him as an excuse to leave. But it was almost like the escape from where she is, her home, what the prison that she's kind of trapped herself in was right on her doorstep and she hadn't seen it. So she just needed someone like him to blow her life apart to then be able to kind of resurface as something else. And so going to somewhere like Spain where the color is different, the light is different, suddenly she's smelling the environment. She can, you can sense it, you can sense the sun on her skin as soon as she exits that airport. And suddenly he looks totally out of place <laughs> and totally different, you know, and she suddenly sees him clearly. And I think from the moment she sees him in that moment, she's moved on from him. She may have had inklings before, but she kind of, it was only in a different space could she see him differently. And actually, I think that happens often. You know, you can fall in love with someone in a certain scenario and then you see them outside of that scenario and you're like, oh no, you know? So I think it's quite universal. It's such an amazing thing humans do. It's so cruel, but it's so like, I, I think it's totally truthful. Like suddenly the veil is lifted and you're like, oh no. Um, so I, I think that felt really honest actually. And then I think it just, and I don't know what happens to her at the end of the film. I, I would suggest that she go on and do, does exactly the same thing with someone else. Like she probably won't learn her lesson for a few more goes. But I, I think that it's slowly, she's taking ownership of her life in a way she hadn't done before. And she's taking risks. Um, and even going out with him is a risk. 
that was worth it in the end because it got her away from something she, or from a place in a world that she was hadn't found herself in. Absolutely. Well, it's such an intricate performance and also in the way that you've worked to tell this story and producing the film as well. So congratulations on everything. And thank you so much, Ruth. Really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me.